Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Well, here we are at the end of the week, and thank you so much for joining us for another edition of The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and uh, do you like to be in control? I think most of us do. If you're like me, you probably like to imagine that you are in control of most things around you. You know what you have planned for today, for the week, maybe this upcoming weekend. You already have some things that are on your schedule, things that you know that you plan to accomplish. And you do, you plan. You're in control of most things around you. It seems like that at least, right? And that is until life throws you a curve. Then you end up realizing how little control you actually do have over most things. Yeah, you can plan and you can prepare, but when you or someone you love, when they get hit with a serious illness or when unforeseen circumstances change everything in a single moment, all that planning, all that preparation that you did, it goes out the window. When you've been faced with an instance like this, might be something very serious, might be something small, but something that just kind of derailed your plans. How did you react? And if it was something serious, did you find yourself turning to God and, and praying, maybe in a way that you never had before? Were you praying for a miracle? I'd like to tell you about Luke Burgi. Luke, when he was four years old, he started complaining to his parents about stomach, his pains in his stomach. His stomach was starting to hurt. This was in the fall of 1998. Luke and his family, they lived in Colorado Springs, and over the next several months, then Luke would find himself in true agony. Anytime he would eat, he'd be in tears. He was screaming from the pain that, that he was dealing with. And he would have as many as 10 bouts a day of diarrhea, just horrible, horrible digestive issues. And his pediatrician and the specialists at Children's Hospital Colorado, located in Denver, they kept on looking for answers. They were trying to figure out what was wrong, but they couldn't pin it down. They were all baffled as well as being extremely worried for Luke because over the next six months, little Luke, he started literally just wasting away. He wasn't able to eat and keep anything in his system. Uh, there were all kinds of problems that he was dealing with. He was in and out of doctor's offices, in and out of the hospital. They were doing all kinds of different tests, different labs that were run on him. But there was still no hope in sight. So during one of his stays in the hospital, as Luke was laying there in his hospital bed and then feeling like she was at the end of her rope and worried for the life of her son, Luke's mother, Jan, she ended up making a phone call. Jan ended up contacting the nuns at a local convent, the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration. Jan and her husband, Mike, they'd been lifelong Catholics. Luke was one of four children. 
And Jan and Mike had met some of these nuns, these sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration. They'd met them previously, and some of the sisters had even come to speak at the school where Luke's sister attended. So Jan ended up making the call. She spoke with one of the sisters, and she explained the dire situation with Luke and asked them to pray for him. And then for the next nine days, two of the nuns there, Sister Margaret Mary and Sister Evangeline Spenner, they prayed a novena for Luke. And the two sisters, they prayed asking for the intercession of Mother Maria Theresia Bonzel. Mother Maria Theresia Bonzel, she was the foundress of the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration, founding them in Germany in 1863. And she was a woman who devoted her life to educating and giving health care to needy children in her community. So during those days when Sister Margaret Mary and Sister Evangeline Spenner were praying that novena, Sister Margaret Mary said she had great trust that her prayers would be answered. She said, I believed it would help. I didn't know how that help would come, but I believed it would help. So then on January, not January, I'm sorry, February 22nd, 1999, Luke, they were back at home. He wasn't in the hospital that day. He came into the living room of their home. He hopped up on the couch and he said to his mother, my tummy doesn't hurt anymore, mommy. That terrible sickness that had ravaged Luke's body for six months, it had just vanished like that. His doctors had suspected that there was a tumor, so they had, they had scheduled a colonoscopy for Luke in late February. But by the time that appointment arrived, just a few days later, after Luke had said his stomach didn't hurt anymore, there was nothing wrong with Luke. When they did the procedure, in fact, not only could they not find any problems or signs of a tumor or other infection, Luke's body showed absolutely no traces of ever having been sick. Jan said that to this day, the doctors cannot explain it. So after what Luke's parents saw as this miracle healing for their little boy, they contacted the sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration to pass along their thanks, their gratitude for the prayers. Now the sisters, they ended up telling their leadership in Germany about this news of Luke's healing. And the story eventually made it to Rome. And so over the next 14 years then, the Vatican ended up researching Luke's healing. About 14 years. Then just prior to Easter in 2013, it was officially announced that after all the rigorous investigation, all kinds of different interviews, all the different studying that the Vatican had done, that the Vatican recognized Luke's healing as a true miracle through the intercession of Mother Maria Theresia, now blessed Maria Theresia. Luke's story, the miraculous healing, it's really, really incredible. But, of course, there are miracles that happen without having to be officially recognized by the Vatican. I mean, those are all the miracles that I've experienced in my life. I've never had a Vatican investigation over anything that God has answered in terms of prayer. I've seen God answer those prayers in my life, though, along with the answered prayers when I've turned to Mary or Joseph or another one of the saints asking for their intercession. Now, coming up this Sunday at Mass, in the Gospel reading, we're going to hear one of the stories of Jesus' miracles, where Jesus feeds more than 5,000 people, starting with only five small loaves of bread and two fish. But you know, miracles aren't something that only happened during the time of Jesus, just like Luke's story, Luke's healing, demonstrates for us. Something that just happened here during our lifetime. Miracles can and do occur today, here and now. 
And today on The Inner Life, that's what we want to look at. We want to look at what the church teaches about miracles and how we should approach this subject. Helping us to do this, one of the regular voices that you hear here on The Inner Life, our spiritual director for this hour today is Father Ed Broom. He's a priest with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He's the associate pastor at St. Peter Chanel Church in Hawaiian Gardens, California. Father Broom, I'm so glad to have you back here on the program today as we talk about miracles. Thank you so much, Josh. Great to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, as we do begin this conversation... You know, I, I, I'm telling the story here to open the program about Luke, but it might be good just for starting to talk about what a miracle is and maybe even what a miracle is not. You know, uh, sometimes people will talk about, well, was it coincidence or was it really a miracle? How do we look at those things in our life and say, well, was this really God at work? Was this a miracle? Sure. I was able to look at uh, Father John Hardin's definition of miracle, and it's relatively short but pretty good. He says a miracle is a sensibly perceptible effect, surpassing at least the powers of visible nature produced by God to witness to some truth or testify to someone's sanctity. So that's a short, succinct definition given by Father Hardin. I would say in very simple English, it's something that goes beyond nature, something that is supernatural, something that comes about by the intervention of God himself. And as you pointed out in a beautiful case, it's uh, not something natural but something supernatural because all those doctors and nurses were trying to help Luke to see what was uh, what was bothering him. Probably had some of the best uh, best doctors there in Denver, maybe maybe in the state, did all they possibly could, and they couldn't. They couldn't find anything. And then these sisters make the novena uh, to their foundress, and all of a sudden, the little boy says, "Mommy, I don't feel anything whatsoever." So that was not something natural. That was something supernatural, and the intervention of God Himself through the intercession of of this um, this saintly foundress, uh, who's now a blessed. So it's not natural, but it's something supernatural beyond nature. Well, and. You know, kind of following up on that story with Luke, it's it's supernatural. One of the other things that I remember hearing is when the Vatican investigates a miracle that there's also supposed to be instantaneous healing. It's not something that's stretched out over a long time necessarily. It's something that happens over a, a, a very short span. But maybe you can kind of walk us through how does the church investigate alleged miracles before declaring them to be approved? Um, and I mentioned that it, it took a long time, 14 years, before they approved, officially recognized Luke's healing. Um, you know, if, if we're the ones witnessing a miracle, like Luke's parents, I'm guessing for them, seeing that instantaneous healing of their little boy, there was probably no doubt in their minds as to what they had witnessed but the church really seems to take a long time on wanting to investigate, examine, look at all the details before they officially would declare, yes, this really is a miracle. Yes. Well, um, what occurs to me right now is um, you probably know that they're working on getting uh, Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen beatified. He's already already Venerable. And um, one of the one of the miracles that they're looking into, and they seem to be verified, is that um, there was this woman 
in a hospital whose um, baby was in the womb died, her fetus died, and um, they applied a, uh, something from Fulton Sheen. It may have been uh, maybe, this, maybe cloth from plastic or something. And they touched this woman's uh, womb, and the, the baby was already declared dead. So that was touched to the womb, and then the, the baby starts to move. And the nurse that, um, that was there, I think she fainted because uh, the baby was dead. So um, what you're saying, it doesn't happen uh, over a long process of, of days or weeks, but happens in- instantaneously. And there's uh, an example. And as you're saying, uh, Josh, it has to be really studied in great detail by, by experts, um, by physicians and doctors. And those are really experts, especially in the field of medicine. And it happens, boom, instantaneously, as was in the case of Luke and as was in the case of this this woman who had her her baby restored, and I think that the child is now eight or nine years of age. Uh, so um, that would be my uh, my response to that question. Well, and do you do you know anything about uh, like you say? There's the um, you know medical experts that are looking into this. Do you know anything about the process that goes into investigating and approving a miracle like the one that you're talking about with uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen? Well, it would have to be investigated by by experts in the field of medicine. Then it would have it have to be submitted to the Vatican, and you've got the uh, the branch in the Vatican in which they work for the canonization of the saints. And you got the three different stages. You got venerable, blessed, and then you've got the the person declared. So it has to be approved by medical experts, and then have to. Be, approved by the uh, the experts who are in that dicastery in the Vatican dealing with the canonization of the saints. And the Pope can suspend one of the miracles, but it usually takes three, four, three miracles, and miracles after the person has died. Sometimes people think that uh, miracles have to be done by the saints that are living, and sometimes it happens, like John Bosco and St. Anthony, St. Francis, Padre Pio... But the little flower never apparently did any miracle in her life. Um, there was one when she was sick. She she had a great devotion to the Blessed Mother, and she prayed to Mary. Mary smiled at her from the statue when she was healed. But that that's the only recorded. So uh, I think it has to be underlined that that um, sanctification does not depend upon miracles during the life, but practicing of heroic virtue, not sporadic, but rather constant practice of faith and hope and charity and purity and patience, all those important virtues. So that, that those, I think, would be the two basic channels, the, the medical experts and then the dicastery of the, those who are chosen by the Holy Father to work on the canonization of the saints. And it's interesting you say that because some saints, John Paul II, it took nine years. Juan Diego, it took 450 years. Mm-hmm. Right. As well as Saint Joan of Arc, you know Saint Joan of Arc was. So it, 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 every saint is different. Sometimes it's done almost immediately. Other times it takes centuries and centuries. But it's they're canonizing a person that lived a life of heroic virtue. So, yeah. So when we're talking about this too, and again, our spiritual director today, if you've just joined us, is Father Ed Broom, a priest with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Today we're talking about miracles. 
And the reason we're talking about this, Father, is because coming up this Sunday, looking ahead at the Gospel reading that we'll hear at Mass from the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel, we see the feeding of the 5,000. And this is one of those uh, places in Scripture. First of all, I think it's important to note, this is one of those miracles that is included in all four of the Gospels. It was such a significant event that, you know, there's a lot of different things that'll happen that's recorded in one, maybe two, sometimes three of the Gospels. But this miracle, so significant that all four Gospel writers end up including it. And then later in this same chapter in St. John's Gospel, Jesus ends up giving his bread of life discourse. He declares himself the bread of life. And one of the moments that always stands out to me is right before this dialogue that Jesus has with the crowd, where they're asking him questions, they're responding to things that he's saying about being the bread of life. This happens the next day. So as they're having this conversation, the very day before, he had just fed the crowd, thousands of them. It says 5,000 men, not including women and children that were there. And that's the multiplying of five barley loaves and two fish to feed everyone, and not just simply feed them, but they collect 12 wicker baskets full of the leftovers. But then this crowd, this very next day, as they're talking with Jesus, they come back and they, they say, we want to believe that you're the Messiah, that you are the Son of God, that you're, you are who you say you are. But give us a sign, Jesus, you know, do a, do a miracle for us. Prove that you are who you say you are. It seems like they're so quick to forget within 24 hours, the sign that Jesus had just performed doesn't matter for them anymore. Is that a danger in our own lives where we are just so caught up in the present moment that we forget all of the good things God has done for us in the past? Yes. That's a, you gave a really good summary of uh, John chapter 6, and we're going to be reading John chapter 6, the next four Sundays in Mass, actually, those 71 verses. And um, I like what you, I like that question. It's, um, I think it's a good idea for us to cultivate an attitude of gratitude where we should never allow a day to go by in which we're not thanking God for the many blessings He's given to us. Um, you know, an attitude of gratitude is so important for us, and um, not that we ho- not that we have to also depend upon miracles in our lives. I mean, miracles happen, praise the Lord. But the uh, as Saint Paul says, the just man lives by faith, and not only that, Josh, but you probably know that the Gospel of John is known. Of the seven signs in which Jesus works, seven, you know, seven miracles in the Gospel of, of John. The first miracle was the wedding feast of Cana, and Jesus uh, heals the centurion, and then the blind man, then also the paralytic, then the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. But also in, in John chapter 6, right after the multiplication of the loaves, it's a shorter version. Jesus walks on water. I mean, what more do you want? I mean, he's multiplying loaves, he's walking on water, he gets up, up at the synagogue of Capernaum and gives that bread of life discourse, which one of the most eloquent discourses in our Lord's teaching. But yeah, sometimes we can become smug and um, we can become complacent in our lives. And I, I just feel that an attitude of gratitude is, is so important. I, 
I like what the, the Rhineland mystic Meister Eckhart says. He says that if the only prayer we ever said in our lives were that of thanksgiving, that would be enough. So uh, I think in a, in a world in which sometimes we take we take things for granted. Um, remember once listening to Focus in the Family, uh, and it was right around Thanksgiving, and this little child wrote a wrote a letter of thanks to God, saying, "Thank you, God, that I can choose the food that I eat." <laughs> How many people don't even know what a refrigerator is? Uh, we can choose the food that we eat. So uh, yes, uh, gratitude is a sign of. Uh, being well-educated and all But it's one of those social virtues. I quote that one of the condiments of social life is that of, of gratitude. And so um, I'm glad that you posed that question. I think we have to work on thanking God. And even the word Eucharist, you know, means uh, Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's that's <laughs> that attitude of gratitude. Uh, I, I remember hearing years ago, I don't remember who said it, um, but it was it was basically that we have the day of Thanksgiving that we recognize and, and celebrate and observe here in the U.S. And I forget who it was, but somebody made a comment of, it should actually be the other way around. We should reserve one day for all the grumbling and complaining that we want to do and have 364 days that are all about giving thanks for all the wonderful blessings that God gives us. That's great. I love it. It really should be that way. It really should be. And you know, Josh, um, I'm a priest for quite a few years, and um, every day of my life, I celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And, you know, um, there's no lockdowns, and thanks be to God, in most places, no lockdowns. You can, um, if you have time, you can go to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, and you can receive the Eucharist. Uh, what greater gift... You know, in your in your questions, your last question was, uh, is the Eucharist a miracle? Of course, it's the greatest of all miracles is the Eucharist. What can be greater than that? And myself, uh, your humble servant, I'm I'm, a, I'm an ordained priest, and sometimes it can blows my mind the fact that I say those words of consecration, take and eat this in my body, take and drink this in my blood, do this in memory of me. And right there, you can see the greatest miracle in the whole universe is I lift it up, and then it descends into your heart when you receive Holy Communion. So there are there are miracles that happen every day, and that uh, that is the greatest of all miracles, the Eucharist. Yeah, let's pick up on that here in just a minute, Father. Uh, I want to invite our listeners to call in if they have any questions about... Uh, as we're talking about this subject of miracles, uh, maybe you've had that experience of a miracle in your life. What happened? How did it help to strengthen your faith? How did it help you to grow in that gratitude that Father Broom is talking about, that gratitude, that appreciation for all the blessings that you've received from God? Our phone number here, our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, and our email address is innerlife@relevantradio.com. And we'll continue our conversation on miracles right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com Forester.
Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director here, Father Ed Broom. He is a priest with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Today, talking about miracles. Uh, this upcoming Sunday, the Gospel reading we will hear at Mass talks about one of those big miracles that Jesus does, the feeding of the 5,000, feeding thousands of people with five loaves of bread, two fish, small amount, and everybody gets fed. And in fact, there's uh, all kinds of leftovers there. One of those miracles that we see, but miracles don't just happen in the time of Jesus back in the Holy Land. Miracles happen every day. And have you had that miracle happen in your life? How did it help to strengthen your faith? How did it help you to grow in your gratitude, your appreciation for what God has given to you? Was it at a time where maybe it seemed like... (laughs) Everything was going to end in ruin or there was no hope. And being able to look back and say, oh, God really did hear and answer those prayers. How did that help you in your faith journey? Our studio line, 888-914-9149. And uh, Father, right before the break, you know, we were talking about a lot of times with miracles, we think of somebody being physically healed, an illness that's instantly gone, able to walk suddenly, you know, things like that. But you ended up mentioning one of the most obvious ones that we have as Catholics. It's the Eucharist. Jesus, the infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe, allowing himself to be uh, brought before us in simple forms of bread and wine, miraculously transformed into his body, his blood, his soul, and divinity. And that's one of those things that, again, um, I would imagine for you as a priest, you, you were talking right before the break, you know, sometimes you're overwhelmed with the gravity of what you are partaking in there as you are praying the consecration, as you're holding the bread that no longer is bread then, as you're holding the chalice filled with wine that no longer is wine. The I've got to think it's easy for so many of us to look at that and get comfortable with routine and the ritual of the Mass. How do we kind of keep ourselves in the mindset so that every time that we approach the Eucharist, we realize what a significant, miraculous event has just taken place as we come forward to receive communion? Great question. About 15 years ago, a movie came out it was first made in Spanish called El Gran Milagro. In English, it's called The Greatest Miracle. And it's um, a claymation depiction of The Greatest Miracle. And what it does, it starts off with these three people that are in crisis. Two widows and a man who's uh, losing his son because of terminal cancer. And what happens is uh, the three of them have a visitation from their guardian angel. And their guardian angel takes uh, the man and the two widows into the church. And what he does is the three enter, they sit down in church, and the guardian angel is explaining 
to the three of them the Mass. Uh, from the very beginning of the Mass, from the entrance hymn all the way through the penitential act, to the liturgy of the Word, then into the offertory, to the consecration, to the communion, until the final blessing. And it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, the angel explained every part of the Mass in detail. The, the movie's about 70 minutes. And it's um, claymation. And when we do retreats in our parish uh, for children as teenagers, we'll often pr- put that movie on, and um, then after that we'll have a holy hour, then after that we'll have mass. I, I think, Josh, one of the biggest problems in the church today is that um, Catholics have not been well catechized as to what the holy sacrifice of the mass is and how to participate in the mass, no? Uh, Vatican II has four dogmatic constitutions. One of them is Sacrosanctum Concilium, in which the Council Fathers say that we have to participate fully, actively, and consciously in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So by, by, by seeing that movie, I think if everyone would see that movie, they would understand the Mass and not bail out as Catholics. You know the biggest religious group in the United States? are non-practicing Catholics, the nuns, no? The non-practicing Catholics are the biggest religious group in the in the country as well as in Mexico and the Philippines. When, when I was a child, 85% of Catholics would go to Mass on Sunday. Now you probably only have about 20% that go to Mass on Sunday. So I think that uh, this ignorance as to what the Eucharist is is... Uh, it's, that's why relevant radio is so important because you people are doing a great job in catechizing the people. You've got thousands of people listening to you. And so many people will call and say, you know, I've come back to the faith because of Pastor Madrid or from Josh or the other members. No, And um, one other thing I'd like to say is this. Uh, tomorrow we celebrate the uh, feast day of um, St. Charbel Maclouf who was a, a Maronite monk who lived in the 1800s. He was canonized by Pope Paul VI. And I don't know too much about him, but what I do know is related to, pertinent to what we're talking about now. This Maronite monk, he was a contemplative, which he spent most of the time in his, um, in his monastery. He asked permission of his superior if he could celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass at midday. 12 noon. And the purpose was that he would spend the whole morning in preparing for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Then he'd celebrate the Mass at midday when the sun is highest in the sky. And then the rest of the day, afternoon as well as evening, he would spend in Thanksgiving for having celebrated the Mass and received the Eucharist. Wow. So um, I I just find find that to be I mean, I I can't do that literally because I'm I'm, I'm busy. Sure, other responsibilities, but yes. no, that's but I that's, love that story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. really is amazing, Father. <laughs> Our spiritual director today, Father Ed Broom, and we're talking about miracles, especially because we're looking ahead to the upcoming gospel reading this Sunday, where we're going to see Jesus feed the five thousand with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Has God worked a miracle in your life? Have you experienced that miracle? Maybe it's been through the intercession of a saint, uh, a blessed, maybe a venerable. 
uh, what happened? How did it help to strengthen your faith? How did it help draw you closer to God? How did it help to bolster your faith? Maybe you had some doubts before, and those doubts are gone because of what God has done in your life. Our studio line, 888-914-9149, And Father, we've got Ingrid, who's listening in Chicago. Hi, Ingrid. You're on the air with Father Ed Broom. I just wanted to share uh, what personally I classify as a miracle in my life. Um, I have a 20-year-old severely autistic son whom I had to uh, turn into the group home um, about five years ago. Um, I asked God uh, to part the Red Sea for me. I was uh, wearing thin. I was I was really weary of uh, caring for him because his, uh, he was becoming a man and his needs were, were becoming greater each uh, and more every day. And I asked God um, to help me uh, with this and he found a, a, a group home for, for my child where they care for him, and uh, my son is able to glorify him there. And um, I thank God for that. I thank God for um, that uh, he knew uh, that I was very exhausted and, uh, and that my son needed that help um, and care. And so... Um, and it was always I was I would always go for uh, Saint Jude and Saint Michael, <laughs> and of course our Blessed Mother uh, for for help and prayer. So um, I thought I'd share that with you. Well, that's beautiful, and uh, God, in a certain sense, he intervened in that moment. He was able to find that group home, and now he's really well cared for, and um, he's glorifying God by. The way he is, and these these handicapped people are a manifestation of Jesus Christ, who suffered on Calvary for us. And sometimes I think we forget that uh, suffering that's united to the cross of Christ and placed on the altar, suffering has infinite value. So um, we praise the Lord the fact that He's able to live in that situation, and you're able to. Um, visit him and support him. You have a really good team of people that are definitely supporting him and helping him in his struggle. But never forget um, the document of John Paul II, Salvifici Dolores, that our our suffering has value in as much as we unite our suffering to the cross of Christ. And every time we celebrate the holy sacrifice of the Mass, we're uniting ourselves to with Christ and that that uh, salvific action that happened 2,000 years ago becomes a reality in every every Mass that we celebrate. So thank you for, for sharing us that wonderful story about your son, and we'll, we'll keep him as well as you in our prayers. No? Yeah, thanks so much, Sherry. And Father, as Sherry was talking there, too, it made me think, you know, there are many times where I've looked back at something and... Whatever it is that happened, it happened at that perfect moment. You know, uh, uh, Ingrid, I'm sorry, Ingrid was talking about um, how the the timing was just perfect there for her son to get into that group home. You know, she was just kind of worn out, exhausted, wasn't able to care for him any longer. And a lot of times I can look back and see through the relationships I have, the conversations I have, through my time in prayer, reading the Bible, reading about one of the saints, going to Mass, hearing something that the priest might say in the homily, 
things that are just normal, ordinary, routine parts of my life, that's where God seems to work the most. You know, it's not in something that is some unbelievable, miraculous healing. It's those little miracles of God just kind of holding my hand as I'm walking along the path, trying to hear where he wants me to go, trying to understand where he's leading me, trying to grow more in my love for him and understand how great his love is for me. Maybe you can talk about how, while we can pray for those big miracles in our life, and and we should, you know, Jesus encourages us to do that, that God works in those ordinary activities and routines of our life, and we get those little miracles. Yes, and that, I think, is the essence of the um, spirituality of uh, St. Therese, the little flower. is um, The essence of that is um, really sanctification. Our growth in holiness does not depend upon the, the extraordinary things, but rather to do the ordinary things with extraordinary love. That's the essence. And what you're talking about, Josh, is um, a lot of people believe in chance, they believe in superstition, they believe in you know, good luck charms, and uh, we don't believe in that because that's against the first commandment. What we do believe in, we believe in divine providence. And divine providence means nothing at all happens by chance. There's no such thing as uh, good luck. And I'll tell the people, if you want to irritate me, say, good luck, Father Broom. I don't like that, you know, because I don't believe in good luck. I believe in God's providential care. Everything that happens is is allowed or willed by his loving, providential, fatherly care. So I think, yeah, we, we shouldn't be expecting huge, huge miracles like the parting of the sea. You know, that we, we had in, um, you know, the second read, the first reading in the Mass this week, but rather... Uh, God, God manifests Himself in small ways, no, not in the great ways. I mean, God can work great miracles, but right. often it's done in the the ordinary. I, I love that doing the ordinary things with extraordinary love. That's the secret of holiness, according to the Little so, Flower, one of the most yeah. loved modern saints. Yeah, <laughs> doing extraordinary things, uh, doing ordinary things with extraordinary love. Yeah, that, that's beautiful, Father. Our spiritual director is Father Ed Broom. As we're talking today about miracles. Have you experienced that miracle in your life? And maybe it is just one of those small miracles, or maybe it's a bunch of small miracles that help you know that God, my Father in heaven, he loves me, he takes care of me, he wants the best for me. Uh, Maybe there was some very large supernatural miracle that occurred in your life. How did that strengthen your faith? How did it help you to grow closer in your walk with Christ? And how did it help you to grow in your gratitude, your appreciation for all the blessings that you have received from God? Our studio line is 888-914-9149. Coming up after the break, more of your phone calls and more with Father Ed Broom here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. If you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. She fell on her knees and said, I haven't prayed since I was young. But Lord above, 
We are talking about miracles here on The Inner Life Today. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Ed Broom, a priest with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, and taking your phone calls, 888-914-9149, trying to understand how those miracles happen and uh, how, more importantly, they draw us to God, draw us to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that we can live our lives in union with God. And uh, eventually, hopefully, we have that, that uh, goal of spending eternity in heaven. And uh, our studio line again, 888-914-9149. And Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Christy, who's listening in North Aurora, Illinois. Hi, Christy. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Yeah, I just wanted to share um, in a little bit of context. My husband and I, when we got married back in 2000 in the church, we immediately went to the side chapel afterwards and prayed um, that God would be with us and we would turn to him continually no matter what happened in our marriage. And these things continue to happen in our lives, and I I count this as one of them. My husband, um, it was about five or six years ago, had developed a blood clot after a surgery in his leg. And um, through that, we actually found out that he had a genetic blood clotting disorder he never knew about. And so that itself was um, good to know. But he, um, as a result, though, um, he developed a vein disorder that can sometimes happen after blood clots. And um, this went on and on and greatly impacted our, our lives. We had three young children, and he wasn't able to help around and barely able to do his job, even sit in the chair without extreme pain and discomfort. And this particular disorder, they couldn't really do much for other than hope that it would go away on its own. Otherwise, it's something that you have to deal with. And we were told after about three to six months um, the chances of it going away are very, very slim. And and we had hit after the year mark with him, and um, uh, we um, go up north in Wisconsin in vacation um, every year, and we went to the shrine up there, Our Lady of Good Help, and that is one of the things we um, prayed for. And while we were there, and that night when we uh, came back to the hotel after we had visited the shrine and put the kids to bed, my husband looked at me and he he said that I don't know if um, if this is really happening or not. But he said, I feel like uh, my that my leg is healed, and um, and sure enough, it it was gone, and he's never had a problem with that since, and. Um, so I just wanted to to share that and and um, all that. There's many other things that God has done in our lives that that He comes through at the last moment, or you know, it, it draws us closer in our marriage or in our family to Him through, and helps us to endure a lot of suffering that we have gone through in our lives. Um, so this is one of those things that I think kind of boosted us up and help our family continue to stay to stay with him and our blessed mother. So that God allowed that great suffering of your husband as well as you and your whole family allowed it to happen and he suffered so much and then when he goes to this beautiful shrine of our lady and prays to her she she intercedes and he's miraculously 
cured. And you know, if that didn't happen, your devotion to Mary would probably still exist. But the fact that it happened, your devotion to Mary basically skyrockets. And imagine, you know, both you and your husband are telling all your friends, Our Lady is so powerful if we just have trust in her intercession. She really can intercede with Jesus, and, and the miracle comes about. Now, the first public miracle of Jesus, sometimes we forget, was done there in the wedding feast of Cana, in which through the intercession of Mary, this water was turned into wine. So I, that's a that's a beautiful story. And given that I'm an oblate of the Virgin Mary, anything we can do to promote Marian devotion, that just fills me with joy. So what a beautiful story. And thank, thank and praise God through Mary's intercession in your life of your husband as well as your whole whole family. Praise the yeah. Lord. <laughs> what, what a good witness to God's goodness. Yes. Thanks, Christy, for calling in. And Father Broom, uh, listening to Christy, you know, she mentions going to the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help. Uh, places like that, you know, Lourdes in France is another one that comes to mind. Sites where there are hundreds of healings and other miracles. There are locations like that all around the world. Why do you think God allows for those certain physical, geographic locations to be a place where miracles do more regularly take place? Yes, great question. I was I was thinking through that in preparation for our talk today, and um. Those two places occurred to me was uh, Lourdes as well as Fatima. Because you probably know, Josh, that in Fatima in, in 1917, October 13th, when you had the miracle of the sun, 70, 70 to 80,000 people saw that. And there were miracles. One was a crippled man was able to walk. A blind man, his sight was restored. And also... The, the people just drenched with water, their clothes dried. But most important is this, is the miracle of grace that many of these skeptical people, these cynical people that were denying, they were denying um, the reality of God and Mary, they, they recovered their faith. So the miracles, I just want to make this point, the miracles of grace, within the soul are even more important mm-hmm. than physical miracles. Yeah. Every time I sit down and I hear confessions, and when a person is moving from the state of mortal sin to the state of grace, Thomas Aquinas says, that miracle is greater than all the natural miracles in the whole world, moving from the state of sin to the state of sanctifying grace. And um, uh, also, Lourdes, uh, Josh, did you know this? that uh, in Lourdes you have the, I'm sure you know the, the, the nature of the, uh, of the water that, that came forth when Bernadette was uh, digging in the ground, and there are many, many people that have been healed. But most people do not know. Most of the miracles occur not in that miraculous water, but when the priest at dusk is doing the Eucharistic procession and he's blessing with the Blessed Sacrament. That's when most miracles occur. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the spiritual healing there is so significant. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Father, uh, we've got a few minutes left. Let's try and get one more phone call on. We've got Ramona, sure. who is listening to us in Navarre, Florida. Ramona, we've only got a couple minutes, but wanted to get you on to share your story. Welcome to The, the Inner Life today. So uh, just about a year and a month ago, <clears throat> my husband passed away from a very aggressive cancer, um, he had been someone who had never been able to really be demonstrative with his feelings or his affection. 
I knew that he loved me deeply and it was okay that he didn't. But we had so many prayers. He had a very aggressive stage four cancer. We had so many prayers for a miracle to St. Joseph, St. Peregrine, and many, many people praying on Drew's show, on the family rosary. I mean, everything. And yet he kept failing. But in the last few weeks uh, before he passed away, it was like a switch flipped. And suddenly he could share his love for me. He could tell me how much he loved me. He would hardly let go of holding my hand. He would reserve time in the morning when we could make no appointments. No one was allowed to come. He said, this is our time. And he apologized for never being able to show his affection, but he just poured it out. And it was, I felt like that was a miracle that those last few weeks, he poured 40 years of his love into a few weeks for me. And I'm so grateful. Wow. That's a great, great observation is that sometimes God will actually do physical miracles. Uh, as in the case of Luke that Josh mentioned at the beginning of the program, his stomach was healed instantaneously, but also the miracle of love manifested by those concrete gestures. Maybe that's even a greater miracle, really, a greater miracle, the, a miracle of, of someone manifesting love before he was going to go from this life into the next So. Beautiful sharing, Ramona. God bless you. Yeah, and what a gift, too, you know, knowing that you're in those last couple weeks and just for God to soften the heart of your husband, Ramona, that he's able to, like you said, have that 40 years of love that he's able to then express and share with you. I'm so glad you called in just to encourage and share that with so many other thousands of listeners this morning here. Uh, Father, you know, we're down to just the last minute, minute and a half here. Um, The... The things that I guess, um, you know, if we are praying for that miracle and God doesn't answer our prayers, like you said with um, Christy, you know, there's the opportunity there to have the prayers answered. If they aren't answered, it doesn't mean our faith goes away. Um, Do we just keep on persevering at that point, just keep praying for that miracle? Or do we just be at peace that, that maybe God is saying, no, it's not right now? Well, I think the key is just to surrender to God's will. Sometimes God will work the miracle, but sometimes God even wants to take us to heaven. He wants to take us to heaven. That's even greater than any miracle we can imagine, really. Right, right. Well, Father, in our last remaining five to ten seconds here, uh, could you offer a list, our listeners a final blessing? Yes. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, God's angels and saints, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Ed Broom, our spiritual director today on The Inner Life, and if you missed any part of the program earlier, go back and listen to the podcast. Of course, stay tuned. We've got Mass that's coming up next here. Father Ed Looney is our celebrant, and we'll talk with you on Monday. Have a blessed weekend. You know, the word is spreading around America. This is the go-to place if you've got a prayer and you want the whole country praying for it. So I invite people to join us every night for the Family Rosary Across America Live. 7 p.m. Central. Bringing Christ to the world through the media. Relevant Radio.